Life is filled with many examples. Examples are all around us. In life, we're, we're given examples of just about everything. We're given examples of how to live, where to live, how to dress, where to shop, how to talk, how to decorate, how to eat, what to eat. We're given examples of everything we should do. What is an example? Well, here's a technical definition. Well, a few of them. Number one, an item of information that is representative of a type. This patient provides a typical example of the syndrome. Number two, a representative form or pattern. I profit, profited from his example. And number three, something to be imitated. He is an exemplar of success. And so we see that an example is kind of a type. It's a pattern. It's an example of a way to do something. Remember in algebra class, you re anybody remember algebra class? <laughs> algebra, I'm going to take you all the way back to the, like the eighth grade or the ninth grade. Algebra class, the teacher would show you how to do the equations by giving you an example, right? And so you would learn the examples, you would follow the examples, and then you would learn how to solve the other equations based on learning the examples. So, so a lot can be learned in life by looking at examples, especially at successful examples of how to do things. This life provides its share of problems and decisions uh, need to be made in difficult circumstances. And so because of that, we need to learn from examples of how to handle situations, of what to do when we find ourselves in certain situations. And literally handling our lives on a day-to-day -day basis, we need an example. We need examples in our lives. In the New Testament, and specifically here in Philippians chapter three, Paul, uh, you know, he commends himself as an example of a true believer, of someone to be followed, of, of an example to be followed. Uh, and so Paul presents himself as an example of how to live the Christian life. The reason is that Paul had found the solution to life's problems and circumstances, and that solution was found in the gospel of Christ. Amen? And because he had found the gospel of Christ and come into relationship with Jesus Christ, he found the answer to life. And he's, he's commending himself in following after Christ and following after the Lord's example in following that. Now he's commending himself as an example uh, to follow Christ as well. And so we've come to this aspect of the example that Paul is going to teach us tonight in, the, in, in his letter in the Philippians. And it is this, and it's, it's really the answer to life. It's the answer to life, period, and it is this. It's the cross of Christ. It's the cross of Christ. You say, what, the cross of Christ? Yeah, the answer to life is the cross of Christ. By receiving Christ and his work on the cross into your life, you are set on a new path, and you have found the answer to everything in your life. You've found the answer to life's problems. You've found the answer to life's most difficult problem, which is the sin in our lives. And you've been set free. 
And you've also been given a new perspective, a new perspective to view your life and specifically the problems that would come into your life. And we, so we view our whole lives, we view every circumstance, we need to view it through a lens of the cross of Christ. By accepting Jesus Christ and his work on the cross in your life, you become a follower of Jesus and you become a Christian. You become a follower of Christ who took up a cross and he said, if any man come after me, let him also take up his cross and follow me. And now Paul here is saying, I want to commend myself to you as an example. And he's going to talk about this idea of being a person of the cross of Christ. And so let's pick it up in our text. And if you're taking notes, the first point is this, embrace the cross of Christ in your life. Let's pick it up in Philippians chapter 3. Verse 17, brothers, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. If you and I want to follow the example of a real believer, if you and I want to be following the example of a genuine believer and be genuine believers ourselves, then we've got to embrace the cross of Christ in our lives. We need to embrace the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ that you received. In fact, I don't know how you say like, well, I'm a Christian and you, and you haven't really embraced the cross because the cross is the center of the whole thing. And Paul knew this. Paul knew that the entire gospel was centered on this. It's the cross, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. I mean, this is the entire thing. And, and so if you don't have the cross, you don't have the death, burial, and then the resurrection of Christ, you have no gospel. In fact, Paul said in one of his letters, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then we're to be pitied among all people. And we're still in our sins. So the cross is central to the Christian life, and when you realize it and embrace it, you realize that it's the answer to life. It's, it's, it's central to our life as believers. Paul here in Philippians 3 has presented himself as an example of living for Jesus and embracing the cross. He asked the believers of Philippi, he says, to join me, join me in following my example. Join in following my example. And so Paul is saying, hey, look, I've, I've embraced the cross. I'm a person of the cross. This thing is about the cross of Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection. And, and you, need to, you need to follow me. I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you, if you're reading this, if you're hearing this, I want to encourage you to join in following my example of embracing the cross, of being a person of the cross. Paul was a genuine example of following Jesus. He, he embraced the cross. He laid his life down for others. And this is what the world needs today. The world needs more examples of real believers. Amen? Real Christians. Real people who are saying, I, I'm, I follow Christ and I've embraced the cross of Jesus Christ in my life. So Paul is telling us to follow his example. A real good question is this, can you actually say the same to those around you? Could you actually write a letter 
to your friends, to your family, to your coworkers, and say, join me in following me as I embrace the cross. Wow, heavy duty, right? Heavy duty, but that's the call of the Christian, that we need to be people who have embraced the cross of Christ and, and become examples ourselves. Because if we follow his example and we embrace the cross truly in our lives, then, then by, by default, we're going to become examples to those around us. Amen? So Paul tells us to follow his example. The, I, the idea of following the example is the idea of imitating another. Uh, and in, in the book of Ephesians, Paul says in chapter 5, he says, be imitators of God, right? And so ultimately, we need to be imitators of God. We need to be imitators of Christ. But we're also to look to examples, other examples as well, because there are people in our lives that, that are laying down an example of, of how to walk the Christian life, of how to follow Christ in our lives. And so Paul is saying, hey, join me in following my example. Paul asks us to follow his example and not those who he calls the enemies of the cross. So he's saying, look, I'm a, I'm a friend of the cross. I'm a, I'm a person who's embraced the cross. And I'm, I've warned you about these other guys out here. I've warned you about these other people out there. In fact, he says, even weeping, I, I write this to you, to warn you about those that, have, that are really enemies of the cross. They're, they're, they're not examples of, of what the Christian life is. They're not true examples of real, genuine Christianity. And the reason is, is because they're actually enemies of the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is is central to the life of a Christian for two reasons. You can, you can write these down if you're taking notes. First, the cross of Christ is the means of forgiveness and salvation. Your salvation hangs on the work that Christ did on the cross. It was there that he shed his blood for forgiveness, for the forgiveness of sins. It was there that he suffered for the sins of the world. It is at the foot of the cross where we receive forgiveness. We literally come to Christ, we come we come to the, the sacrifice of the cross and the reality of the resurrection. That's where we, we come to Christ. In fact, I, I did this Easter message a few years ago, and I, and I think I, I taught it here on the beach a couple Easter's ago, um, this whole idea of the fulfillment of the mercy seat at the resurrection, at the tomb in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it's there where we have the first eyewitness of the resurrection. And, it, and it, is, it is Mary who comes, Mary Magdalene, who comes, and, and she's the first one, and she looks down into the empty tomb, and what does she see? She sees the fulfillment of the mercy seat, and she turns around, and she meets Jesus, and she sees him. And so we, it, the, the, the work of the cross, the death, burial, and the resurrection is all foundational in the Christian's life. Why? Because it's where we meet Christ. It's where we find forgiveness. It's where, it's where the work was done. Here in verse 18, we see Paul weeping. He says, even weeping, I, I've warned you about these people who have become, who are actually enemies of the cross. Why is Paul weeping? He's weeping because, he's not weeping because of the prison in which he was confined. He's not weeping because of the guards to whom he was chained. He's not weeping over his brutal situation. He's weeping over people being led astray by people 
who may even be claiming to be Christians, but that are not because they're enemies of the cross of Christ. He's weeping over them that have become the enemies of the cross. Paul told, Paul was so central, the cross of Christ was so central to the message of, 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 of Paul and the message of the gospel. Paul told the church at Corinth this. He said, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. What is that? The message of the cross. Paul told the Roman church that this message of the cross was the power of God unto salvation. What? The message of the cross. The message of the cross is the power of God. That Jesus came and died and was buried and resurrected. If you grew up in church, you grew up singing a hymn called what? The Old Rugged Cross. I want to read the lyrics to that song. You may, many of you are very familiar of it. It said this, on a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best for a world of lost sinners was slain. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Oh, that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction to me. For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. In that old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. To the old rugged cross I will ever be true. Its shame and reproach gladly bear then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. So I'll cling, I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. The idea of being a person that recognizes the cross of Christ and what was accomplished there, and what our Lord did there. And those that have become an, uh, enemies of the cross, whether they be imposters within the sheepfold, so to speak, or just people out in the world, we've got to be people who realize the importance of the cross and cherish it. Here's a question for you. If your world were to suddenly come to an end, what would you be found clinging to? What would you be found cherishing in your life? The work of Christ, the old rugged cross. So the first thing is that the 
The cross of Christ is the means of forgiveness and salvation. Secondly, the cross is central to the life of the believer in that the cross is the means of discipleship. Jesus said in Luke 14, 27, and whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. What? Whoa. <laughs> whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The cross is the contact point of discipleship. It's the place where we deny ourselves so that we can follow Christ. And so do you see how someone who is not embracing the cross or these guys that Paul's talking about who've somehow become enemies of the cross, these are not examples of, of, of true Christianity. They're not examples of truly following Christ. The cross is the contact point of discipleship. It's the place where we deny ourselves. It's the place where we lose our life so we can find it. Remember when Jesus said, if, if, if you try to find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find it, right? It's like, it's that paradox that he puts out there. It's, it's, it's a paradox and it, it's contradictory in a sense because it's like, well, I'm trying to find my life. I'm trying to find my life and, 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 and all this. And let's go up to the bookstore and we'll go find a book on how to find our lives and whatever. And Jesus says, look, if you'll lose your life <laughs> for my sake, you'll find it. Bing, 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 bestseller, right? New York Times bestseller. No. <laughs> well, actually, it is a bestseller. It's, 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 it's the best, it's, 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 it's the bestseller in the history of the world. It's called the Holy Bible. Amen. It's the Word of God. And, 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 and so it is a bestseller. And we just need to just embrace it. We just need to realize that even though there, there is a paradox like that, that the reality is losing our life for his sake will where we find ourselves because we become complete in him, right? So it's, 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 a, it's a, a paradox. I had this example of, of, of a paradox actually um, in golf. Um, sometimes in golf you actually have to do what seems like the opposite of what you would do uh, to, to accomplish what you're trying to do. So when I was taking lessons, I learned like if you want to hit the ball left, you actually kind of set up to the right and, and you can hit the ball left. And if you want to hit the ball to the, to the right, you actually kind of set up more of an open stance. And so there are paradoxes like that in life. And if we realize the paradox of finding our life in Christ and by denying ourselves, we really have be gone down light years ahead of where most people are willing to, to look at the, these types of truths. Paul warns us about those who are the enemies of Christ. He says, these guys are not our example. They're, they're not into to what, the, what the gospel is about. Is giving, is giving your life to Christ, is finding yourself in him, taking up your cross and finding it. And so look back at that text in, in uh, chapter three. He says, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. So 
They've become enemies of the cross. I want to, uh, to close tonight. We're just going to look at these couple of chat, couple verses tonight. But there, I want to take a look at, you know, because I think people basically want to be a success. I don't think anybody sets out and says, well, I just want to be an abject failure. <laughs> you know, I don't think anybody wakes up every day and goes, how can I figure out in life how to be an absolute failure and find myself in absolute deep depression and, 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 and just, you know, how, what's the quickest path to that, to that outcome? No. But there was a, a scholar, a 19th century Bible scholar, G.S. Bose, and he pointed out the ultimate futility of ambition that isn't accompanied by dedication to God. And he cited four powerful world rulers of the past as examples of this. The first one was Alexander the Great. He said Alexander the Great was not satisfied even when he had completely subdued the nations. He wept because there were no more worlds to conquer and he died at an early age in a state of debauchery. And that's a fact of Alexander the Great. He actually died, I believe he was like in his early 30s. And people think, what, Alexander the Great? Yeah, he was like, I think he was like 31 years old. And he basically conquered the known world and basically didn't have anything left to do but just give his life to absolute uh, debauchery and ended up dying early. Hannibal, who, was, who filled three bushels with gold rings taken from the knights he had slaughtered, committed suicide by swallowing poison. Few noted his passing and he left this earth completely unmourned. Uh, Julius Caesar, staining his garments in the blood of one million of his foes, conquered 800 cities only to be stabbed by his best friends at the scene of his greatest triumph. And then Napoleon, the feared conqueror, after being the scourge of Europe, spent his last years in banishment. And so I think what Bose was hitting upon in looking at these examples is that this ambition of trying to, to, to find everything and conquer everything and, and, and do this while not having Christ and the gospel in your life is basically a, a, a you know, autobahn <laughs> towards destruction, right? It's, it's, it's a... It's a, it's a, it's a it's, it's just an unfettered pathway to absolute destruction. And we're not going to get into it tonight, but this is basically what Paul is talking about in those next verses. And we'll read it. He says, these enemies of the cross whose shame, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So, in the end, um, you either have lived for whatever it is that, you, that was, was important and this, this ambition and whatever, and if that's completely devoid of the gospel and of the cross of Christ, it ends in futility, it ends in destruction, it ends in debauchery, it ends in depression, and... You know, the other example from the, from the text of Scripture is the, is the example of Solomon. 
you know, where he set out on this, this quest to discover, you know, you know, meaning in life and basically came to the conclusion that everything's meaningless, right? And, you know, and, and on the pathway to doing that, of course, he's the king of Israel. He did not, if you read the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, he basically didn't deny himself of anything. You read of it, some of it, and you're like, ah, really? <laughs> you know, this guy was in the Bible. He's the king of Israel. He had like a thousand women. I just saw this. I don't know. This, this, is, this came up on the news feed yesterday. Ric Flair said he's had 10,000 women, right? And now he's like just in this state of just complete lostness, right? So basically Solomon came to the same conclusion. He didn't deny himself of, any, of anything. And of course, he, he didn't have to deny himself of anything because he had access to everything that the world had to offer at that point, right? So, I mean, people would literally come to him and sit at his feet and as he would just pontificate these great points of wisdom, right? You know, remember, he was the one who asked God for, for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom, and people would come. And, and, of course, he had his throne made of ivory, and there were basically these steps that led up to his throne of ivory, and that's where the, the whole idea of, like, ivory tower, that concept actually comes from Solomon, who would sit on his throne thrown atop these ivory stairs, this ivory tower, and just kind of pontificate and deliver this wisdom. And they would come from all over. But at the end of it, he says, the only thing I know is fear the Lord your God, right? This is the only meaning that you can come up with that makes any sense. And so these are the examples if you don't have, if you've become an enemy of the cross of Christ, if you haven't embraced the cross of Christ, which is, which is the answer to our lives as, as fallen human beings, it's the answer. It's the tree that brings the answer to our life. So I'll close with one, one last thing. Mary Jo actually flew to Washington, D.C. This, this morning I dropped her off at the airport. And... Um, I remember one time I had driven into the city of D.C. And if you've ever driven into the city from the Virginia side, you come in on 66, right? I-66. Come in on I-66 and there's this kind of hard right turn and then it turns back to the left and you come across the Potomac and you come into the, the, you know, the glorious city of Washington, D.C. with the monuments to your right and all the, the you know, the the... the, the Washington Monument and the Capitol up ahead of you. And you come down and you sit down on Constitution Boulevard, right? And I remember I came down, I'm sitting, I'm about right, sit almost right in front of the White House. So I'm on Constitution Boulevard in front of the White House, staring at the Capitol. And I pulled up to this, behind this car. It was like, it actually was a Subaru. And this person had a bumper sticker on the, on the car, and it said, trees are the answer. Trees are the answer. And I turned to my kids, 
Remember I was talking about Sunday being that person that will deliver the truths of, of, of Christ to your kids, being that person that's reliable to receive the revelation and then deliver it? I turned to my kids and I said, close. <laughs> There's a tree that is the answer. Amen. There's a tree that is the answer, and it's the cross of Christ. 